0: Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello, and welcome to Compliance Clarified, a podcast for risk and compliance professionals brought to you by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Each week we discuss news stories and topical issues from our journalists and analysts in the US, Europe, Asia, and Australia. I'm Rachel Wolcott, senior editor, coming to you today from London, and I'm speaking to Helen Chan, my regulatory intelligence expert colleague based in Hong Kong. Hello, Helen. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me on today. So in Episode 10 of Season 8, Helen and I are going to discuss artificial intelligence and compliance and offer a bit of a reality check, particularly for generative AI, like ChatGPT. To say there has been a lot of hype around AI and generative AI is an understatement. ChatGPT, in particular, has captured the public's imagination, simultaneously hailed as a transformational technology and a weapon of mass destruction. But today, Helen and I wanna take you through some of the trends and use cases we're seeing in financial services and compliance and talk about a little experiment we've run with ChatGPT to see how well it handles some simple compliance tasks. So Helen, let's talk about the compliance and risk uh, use cases you've uh, heard suggested for AI and ChatGPT. what's What's the buzz?
1: Sure, Rachel. So at least in Asia, people have been leaning towards transformational technology over weapon of mass destruction. Wealth management firms in Asia in particular have been very interested in AI use cases. Um, One area of particular interest has been figuring out how to capture the mass affluence segment. Um, So potential clients with 100,000 to 1 million in liquid assets and annual income of 75,000 or more annually. That's quite a big range, and that covers really divergent demographics, um, also a range of financial needs. Firms are specifically looking at ways to incorporate AI to service this very sort of divergent segment um, that is more cost efficient than the traditional sort of face-to-face relationship management model. And at the same time, they still want to provide tailored professional wealth management services to these clients in order to stay competitive. Um, Other use cases that we've seen in Asia include using AI to identify market trends and, and make precise recommendations for different segments in retail banking, investment management, and insurance as well. And there's also interest in the compliance side to use AI tools to Um, help with things like onboarding, help with fraud detection and whatnot. Um, Overall, we've noticed that the AI use cases being explored by firms in Asia are focusing more on a customer needs-based model as identified by AI technology um, using data analytics, etc., What's really interesting about this is that it will inevitably require the industry to retweak their mindset, especially in Asian markets, where a lot of the wealth and investment management business is still very much based on sales volume, and they sort of use a top-down strategy over what products to push to clients. So I think in terms of chat, GPT, slash, you know, generative AI use cases, um, we're already seeing a lot of chatbot being utilized in the banking industry and, of course, uh, by e-commerce companies um, normally as a triage for customer service. As sort of the technology improves, um, natural language processing, of course, could further enhance the quality of these responses, I think. Just over the last,
0: you know, six to seven months since Jet GPT came on the scene, we've been reporting about... lot of use cases for AI and the generative AI, which is the ChatGPT. And one of the things that comes up a lot in the compliance setting is the policy writing summarization, which people see as a real bonus, and we'll talk about that a little later. People have mentioned to me using ChatGPT-type technology, you know, as well as um, the traditional well, not traditional, but what they call the deterministic AI to look for patterns in transaction and trade data, you know, for market abuse, creating models to detect financial crime. So this would be in kind of cash transactions and, you know, money movements. And I was just talking to some fin crime and fraud folks about using AI to look at customer behavior at the kind of keystroke and device interaction level to detect money mules. So they have this thesis that, you know, the way uh, fraudsters use their technology can show you that they're fraudsters. So this would be like cutting and pasting a lot of the passwords and and whatnot from or certain kind of processes around account opening, et, et cetera. Actually, the uh, UK's Financial Conduct Authority uh, chief executive Nikhil Rathi made a speech about this on July 12th, which is yesterday um, in terms of when we're recording this podcast. But you know, he mentioned financial advice for not so much the mass affluent as you were mentioning, Helen, but people who have have less money. So I call them non-high net worth investors. And there's a big problem with the advice gap here in the UK. Um, if you are giving people advice, financial advice, you need to charge them for it. So that's seen as a big barrier to entry. Rathie also mentioned um, debt management tools, and like you said, um, insurance products. And he was talking about the financial crime fraud and AML applications, which I think you know, in terms of the deterministic AI, that in the machine learning side of things, that's been around for a while. But what you know, what a, what the reg tech folks um, here in Europe are really focused on is automating the compliance and regulatory change process, and that's actually quite hard, um, and it d- demands a level of accuracy um, in terms of training. And testing the AI models. And it's important to note that there's a big difference here between what a ChatGPT can do for compliance and what specialist or expert AI can do. And what RegTech professionals tell me is that generative AI models like ChatGPT need to be trained on compliance or regulatory data sets to get to a level where it can answer compliance questions accurately. So you know, acting like a real chat bot and being able to answer queries people have about compliance. But when it comes to this reg change application, um and ingesting new regulations or guidance, doing summaries or gap analyses, and then designing, A change implementation program or updating policy what I've been told is that requires a expert deterministic AI and one of the people I spoke to about this last week said that you know their model that they've been working on has been taking them five or six years so it's something that takes a lot of investment a lot of time a lot of testing And I think, you know, just to kind of segue into kind of the risks that we're going to, that you're going to talk about, Helen, I think it's important to know that for some compliance tasks that are envisioned for ChatGPT, they were going to require firms to submit data to whatever model they're using. So that'd be OpenAI or a local model. So if they were going to be using the generative AI to scan trading comms for market abuse, this means you can't, you need to put that data in, into a model, and that has, you know, potential risks. And one of the most disturbing applications I came across was putting employee comms into a generative AI model to gauge sentiment and wellness or to detect misconduct. And I think that comes with some huge risks and data privacy issues. And to be honest, when it comes to, you know, how humans are feeling, and even giving them advice, like go talk to your manager and have a cup of coffee about some of these bad feelings that you're having. You know, this is just really controversial, and in my opinion, completely unproven. So we, Helen, what kind of risks are you seeing r- attached to this rush to adopt AI and this chatbot tech? What, what's what's on your mind?
1: So, Rachel, I agree with you in that there is um, a lot of uncertainty over how reliable the information generated by these sources is. Um, and there have been a lot of cases of inaccuracies. Um, there's also a problem with boilerplate. Advice, which in the finance industry regulators tend to frown upon, and that tends to be quite problematic. Uh, as you said, many of these issues do relate to data training sets, and, and we don't know if that will change as organizations evolve and use their own data to train in house capabilities. Um, but again, that also raises a lot of data security and sort of data privacy compliance concerns, cross border data. Uh, transfer concerns. There's already some litigation and enforcement activity taking place over data privacy, especially in the U.S. Um, Yesterday, a class action complaint was filed in San Francisco against Google. The plaintiffs include ordinary internet users as well as copyright holders who argue that Google's practice of scraping data from websites violates U.S. state privacy laws regarding user consent uh, to data collection. It also raises issue of copyright violations. This complaint definitely gives a nod to compliance concerns under the GDPR and also China's uh, personal information protection law as well. Um, I'm also aware that there was a similar complaint filed previously against OpenAI, so these things are cropping up. Um, There's also smaller lawsuits uh, involving entertainers or celebrities who are suing for unauthorized use of their intellectual property. And also some defamation cases where ChatGPT gave inaccurate information about individuals, just ordinary individuals.
0: Similarly, I've heard about some lawsuits um, from authors who are looking to sue ChatGPT or OpenAI. I've heard of lawsuits uh, brought by uh, artists, so visual artists, who are suing the DALI image generation platform. Another thing that people need to keep in mind is that AI is biased. <laughs> you know, not only will it slander you or hallucinate, um, that's a test I haven't tried putting my own name on it, telling me, tell me about Rachel Wilcott. Maybe that's an, another game we can play. But, you know, AI is biased and they're it's biased because data sets are biased and people who design the models are biased and they're, picking and choosing what data to put, put in to the models. And it's just human nature. Humans are biased, so things that we create are going to be biased. And there already have already been a load of examples of bias in AI. Um, I'll just pick out some of the more relatable ones, which is around these uh, human resource tools, um, like CV and resume screening There's a famous case where Amazon was using this tech and, uh, you know, they were hiring people like the majority of people in Amazon, which turned out to be white and male. So they had to change that. But, you know, the HR application is something that a lot of firms are using. Um, And they'll even say it's because we want to hire people like us because we think the people inside the firm are successful and so <laughs> we're going to be hiring more of us. And what a another big uh, bias risk is around um, these automated facial recognition tools. So biometrics um, that I think everybody is beginning to have experience of. When I don't know what it's like in Hong Kong, Helen, but when you go to the grocery store here and you're using the automated checkout, you know they're taking a picture of you and you know, storing your image on a database somewhere, or you go to get on a flight, um, they use automated facial recognition to, or just facial recognition, to check you in on the flight. But, you know, one of the big critiques of these um, AFR tools is that they are biased and they find it very hard to distinguish non-white faces. And this is a problem you know, if you're using it in a um, client onboarding setting, for example. Um, And it's also something that's coming up in the EU AI Act. Some of these applications, like the social scoring and real-time and remote biometric ID systems, will be banned. Also, I think the social scoring thing is a big one for some of the insurance products who will look at what kind of neighborhood you live in or, you know, use some street view, like Google Street View, to see if you live in a run-down neighborhood and then they'll be making assumptions about you and, you know, the insurance risk that you pose. Um, Another thing that comes up a lot is um, transparency and explainability of models. Um, You know, this gets back to what we were saying about these, um, you know, the data sets on which the models are trained. And it's something that is becoming an issue here in the UK and especially in the EU where the AI Act is, you know, making its way through the legislative process. And the EU AI Act will classify generative AI like ChatGPT, um, at, as a high risk kind of technology that will have to be um, registered in an EU database but it also classifies assistance in legal interpretation and application of the law as high risk and having to be registered in the database so I think that's something people looking at compliance use cases where they're doing legal interpretation will have to you know keep in mind you know when they're developing some of these uh, products to automate reg change and things like that so helen where are we uh with regulation and what's it looking like in asia
1: so rachel quite a few financial regulators in asia have touched upon transparency and explainability in a high level sort of they call it high level either methodology or guiding principles The Monetary Authority of Singapore, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, and the Financial Services Commission in South Korea have all sort of published high-level guidance in recent years focused on the ethical use of AI. Some of the common themes that they focused on, of course, transparency, explainability, also accuracy of the training data, and fairness. So going back to your point about bias in data training sets and how that is problematic Um, in in the context of the finance sector that could certainly raise consumer protection and sort of fairness compliance issues for firms uh, that use these AI tools. So China, um, probably among the jurisdictions in Asia, China has issued like the most detailed guidance to date. The Cyberspace Administration of China issued draft measures for generative AI services back in April The proposals include um, imposing operational and risk management requirements, as well as liability on AI-related service providers. Some of these liability implications um, will will include uh, liability over the use of data to train generative AI um, in cases where that also involves IP infringement or poses national security issues. I think overall there's also been some concern among regulators in Asia, and also like globally, on how to hold firms accountable for regulatory violations related to AI. And I think that this is, for regulators, quite a high priority for policy development right now. Um, some of the questions they're considering is whether existing conduct and accountability regimes are sufficient, or is there a need for something completely separate for AI? I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a
0: roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover.
1: To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Here in London, the UK is in the white paper stage of thinking about anything at the government level about AI regulation. Although the UK thinks it's going to become a global leader in AI regulation, we'll see how that works out. But, you know, from the FCA perspective, again, um, Nikhil Rathie made some interesting comments um, yesterday that really touch on some of the points that you're, um, you were just bringing up, Helen. Um, it said he said that the FCA is already seeing AI business models through its authorization gateway, and he was touching on how AI intersects with uh, firm senior management uh, responsibilities. Um, he was pointing it to uh, cyber risk and operational risks. Uh, associated potentially with AI, and also how it intersects with customer duty responsibilities, which is a new, um, the customer duties coming in, I think, this month. So that would be ensuring that AI-based products are delivering good customer outcomes. um, And that links back to the transparency and explainability point uh, we were making earlier. And also, you know, just ensuring that it's you know, doing what it's supposed to be doing and not causing any kind of harm. So while the U.K. is vying for this leadership position in um, artificial intelligence regulation, I would say the uh, EU is already there with the AI Act, which I've already touched upon a little bit. Um it is in the trialogue phase now, which is finalizing the new legislation. And broadly, uh, the EU is looking to develop rules to ensure that AI developed and used in Europe is fully in line with EU rights and values, including human oversight, safety, privacy, transparency, non discrimination, and social and environment well being. Um, And like I said, the AI Act will ban certain applications like remote automated facial recognition, and it will assign different risk levels to different AI applications, including chat GPT-like applications, which will come with their own rules and requirements. So I think firms are going to really need to be looking carefully and following the developments around the EU AI Act very carefully and closely. And just briefly about the U.S., I I would categorize them as being in the very early days of thinking about um, AI uh, regulation. Uh, The White House has published an AI Bill of Rights, which is a starting point for them. And it covers a lot of the... uh, issues and risks we've mentioned like bias, privacy and transparency. So watch this space. Uh in the US, it's there's, you know, a lively debate going on um in the uh the H- House of Representatives and in Congress. You know, it seems like they're very much in the information gathering um mm-hmm. phase. So at the beginning, I uh, talked about this little experiment we were running, testing out ChatGPT for compliance purposes. So, Helen, tell us about what task you set for ChatGPT and how it did.
1: So I did did have to have a think about this and uh, what I settled on. Yeah, what I settled on was uh, I asked him... Um, ChatGPT to draft uh, principles for a compliance policy at a mid-sized either retail bank or an investment manager to comply with consent um, requirements for data collection under both the California Consumer Privacy Act and the GDPR. So that was one set. And then I did a separate query, again involving a mid-sized retail bank investment manager asking for a compliance policy To comply with uh, cross-border data transfer security assessments under the uh, personal information protection law in China. So in both cases, I ended up with things that that were strikingly similar to the text of the legislation, let's put it that way. It was very long, but it was just very similar to the text of the legislation. Um, And in some cases, especially with the uh, personal information protection law and cross-border data transfers, it didn't. Re- the response did not include more recently released supplementary guidance. In both cases, there was also a very big disclaimer at the end uh, to consult with legal experts.
0: Well, of course. Uh, so, you had a pretty specific, very specific query. So, you know, one of the things we were talking about is how to frame the questions for ChatGPT in the hopes of getting. Some useful information out of it. Um, so it seems like you did a well. You did a really detailed question, and you still came back with a pretty generic answer. And I mean, what do you think? Like, how could how could compliance people use this this kind of generic summary? I mean, do you think it they could actually use it? I mean. Where would they go with once they got this information?
1: I think it's helpful as a starting point to summarize especially very sort of lengthy pieces of legislation. I mean, we're, of course, still in the early days of AI and we have no idea where this machine learning journey is going to take us. Um, but at present, in my opinion, there definitely needs to be human expertise to sort of join that uh, generic advice with the business needs of an organization. I think that that part is still very reliant on human expertise. You've got to
0: have enough knowledge to know where ChatGPT is making a mistake. Um, Yeah, so I asked it to create a company policy for personal account dealing for a small brokerage company that trades stocks and contracts for difference. And so I thought that was pretty, you know, tight. I don't know. I Like you, I was like, where Where do you even start with this? How specific do you have to be? Anyway, um, I mean, on the face of it, it seems like pretty helpful. It's, you know, they define personal account, but then it goes into insider information. So... I thought that it was confusing um, personal account dealing with insider dealing policies, which I think are totally different. I mean, obviously, there is some overlap. But if you're doing personal account dealing, this is you know just being transparent as an employee of a, of a co- brokerage company or a you know investment bank about what you're doing um and what and what you're trading. And what some of the limits might be on that, but this was also um, going into things around insider insider dealing and use of insider information, which is sort of outside the personal account dealing. But you know, it did um, bring up stuff about blackout periods, which I think is important, and. Um, making sure that you're transparent about um, what you're doing with your employer and making sure you will let them know about different accounts that you have. It was funny, though. It says under restrictions, the first one is prohibition on, on insider trading. I did wonder if, you know, if, you, if you're one of these firms, you probably should have legal counsel who might be able to supply you with a, you know, template uh a uh, policy that you could then tailor to the different characteristics of the, of your firm and to pick up on some of the specific risks. And I think um, you mean you alluded to you know boilerplate type policies and whatnot earlier on. I think a regulator looking at a policy, I wonder if they'll have to start wondering, oh my God, did they generate this off of a chatbot <laughs> Um, and you know maybe warn some firms who are looking to cut corners. Like, yeah, you can't just put it into ChatGPT and uh, make some conclusions about it, or you know, make enforce that as a policy, because you know you you have to do this risk assessment of what your actual you know personal account dealing or insider dealing risks are or you know in your example what your data privacy and uh, data transfer risks are and you know think about that at a, you know at a firm level not just have this generic uh, approach so um I, mean, I think that brings us neatly into what are some lessons for compliance officers um Looking to use AI for automating tasks or chat GPT to speed up tasks like policy writing uh, with your illegal hat on. Helen, what do you say?
1: So, Rachel, I agree with you in that it is very important to trust, but verify at least at this stage um, of the AI journey that, that we're currently on, I mean, as we've both discussed at length, uh, presently there is still a need for human expertise to identify inaccuracies and also address biases. Um, but you know, the future is anyone's guess. Uh, OpenAI is already talking about the need for governance of superintelligence and has warned that achieving AI superintelligence is something that is only years away, not decades. Um, so there there could be a lot of change in this space, um in terms of the pace of the the advancement of the technology and also regulatory developments in different jurisdictions. and that will, you know undoubtedly have a lot of implications for compliance. Um firms will have to continuously sort of tweak their controls and also, you know, review and and think about their mindset towards business models, um, product governance, technology governance, and whatnot. It sounds like
0: this is something we're going to be writing a lot about in the future. When these AI-driven business models or products, you know, start to be ruled out to the general public, I anticipate they'll be touted as the, you know, the best thing ever. (laughs) So uh, We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Oh, hopefully we won't be reporting on too many disasters. But hmm.
1: well, enforcement I think will be part of that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've certainly seen seen that as the case with some of the newer technologies like crypto, and in in that space, like enforcement will inevitably be, be part of the journey.
0: That is a great comparison with with crypto. Yeah, definitely, lots of promise a lot of risk. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Great. Okay, well that's it for this week's Compliance Clarified. Oh, this is the last in this series. Your feedback is important to us, so please give us a rating on your podcasting platform of choice or get in touch directly. Our contact details are in the show notes. For more information about regulatory intelligence, please search for Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence or check the show notes for a link. We'll be back for season nine in September. Thank you very much. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.